Welcome to Profiles. Welcome to Profiles. A monthly podcast featuring industry disruptors. Tune in to hear the stories of people who weren't afraid to dream big, take chances, and shake things up. Hello, and welcome to Promo Corner's podcast, Profiles, where we talk with industry leaders and disruptors to get their take on the world of promotional products and how they're shaking things up. I'm your host, Steve Woodburn, and we appreciate your taking time out of your busy day to schedule time with us. Are you a duck or are you an eagle? This month's guest believes all of us need to learn where we fit in the ecosystem of life to make the most impact in our career and her advice to newbies and industry veterans is the same. So my thing is, know if you're a duck or an eagle. The world needs both. Ducks swim, eagles fly. Don't put an eagle in a duck's job and don't put a duck in an eagle's job. John Maxwell, Leadership Gold, read that book before you get started and understand your place in the ecosystem and then learn psychology and watch and observe the people around you to see what skill sets those people have so that you can link arms and make something really powerful. But the minute you find those other people, you want to go far, go together, it's absolutely right. That's where the sustainability comes in. You've got other people to bounce ideas off of, different ways of thinking, different skill sets that can fill in your gaps. And the what, the road that you can travel is endless. The money that you can make is endless. The possibilities are endless. Um, definitely include other people on your journey that fit the gaps that you have in your personality. She believes she was born to market, to lead, and to educate. And in her new role as the chief marketing officer for Performa, Charity Gibson has found the perfect spot to share her talents. But life hasn't always been so comfortable for Charity, whose formative years weren't in any way idyllic. But I spent about most of my young life from 3 to about 15, 14, 15 homeless. Um, Different people took us in. We lived in and out of hotels. And so uh, my sister actually started managing apartments in property management and got a free apartment because of that. So as soon as I turned 18, I actually started leasing apartments, which led to manage, uh, management, but then also uh, marketing for a large apartment community here. So that was where I actually got my start was for um, a real estate investment trust at a very large apartment community doing essentially, you know, apartment leasing and marketing locally and all of that fun stuff. And when uh, there were a bunch of polybutylene pipes that were bursting and I was 18 years old and ill-equipped to deal with the frustrations of uh, people's personal belongings swimming away <laughs> in a pool of flooded apartment home, uh, started looking at the newspaper back in the day for a new job and found a B2B account manager at a promotional products place. I had no idea what I was applying for. Um, applied for the job and actually did not get it the first time. Went and worked at Nike for a while and then I saw that job and I'm like, I'm gonna get this dang job and uh, applied for it a second time and, and ended up getting it. Not knowing what to expect, Charity learned quickly how tough this job would be, but the training proved invaluable. We had to be on the phones from 7 to 4 in the afternoon. We had to make 100 calls a day. Our calls were recorded. We listened to them on Tuesday. They were critiqued. We had to get 25 live people. We had to know where every single order was, every single minute of the day. So he walked up to our desk and called out a PO number. We had to, like, pull it out of the bin really quick. And then, like, it's tracking this and it's delivering this. And we sent a thank you package this. And so 
people oftentimes ask me like how I know so much so quickly. And I think it was because of just the way that I was trained. He was impeccable. <laughs> when she became pregnant, she took 18 months off to be with her newborn. And when she decided to go back, she pitched an idea to her boss that 15 years later, during the pandemic, would become the norm. When I came back, I um, got in touch with him and I just said, you know, I'm really not thrilled with the idea of being back in the office full time. So is there potentially an opportunity for me to do this new thing that I'm hearing about called telecommuting, where I can work from home and we can, um, you know, just I can remote in and I will never forget. He's like, you know, that's a great idea and it might work for some people, but I don't know that it's going to work for me because I like to have our calls recorded and you know how our processes work and our meetings work. And I just really want to be able to manage that. I really don't think that that's going to be a viable way to do work in the future. He reluctantly agreed to let her work from home. But after two years, his angst at not being able to control her every move got the best of him. He called me into his office and was like, I don't know if this is going to work out. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work out. You're calling me every five minutes. <laughs> let me do my job. Um, and so... We ended up parting ways and I started a photography company. Uh, ended up sending a ton of business back and was doing, because of photography, professional photography, doing business card layouts and graphic design. When they needed a place to order, I just sent it on back to where I came from. We had a great relationship. And finally, after about two years, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, just do this myself. And that's when I started my own company, Green Banana, in 2010. She had a five-year run on the distributor side until her business partner had to leave the company for personal reasons. That was when she made a call that changed her life to the owner of a Canadian promo company called Right Sleeve, which has since morphed into the industry innovator and disruptor known as Common Skew. Ended up calling Mark Graham because he knew my situation and he's a great mentor, phenomenal friend. Um, we are on Promo Kitchen. He brought me on to Promo Kitchen, founded Promo Kitchen, brought me on to do help with social media. So I called him for everything. Um, really nice to have somebody of that caliber on speed dial. And I appreciate every bit of advice he gave me. Uh, in 2015, he said, Charity, I messaged him. I was like, what am I supposed to do? He jumped on the phone call and he's like, why don't you do social media for a living? I said, Mark Graham, who in God's green earth is going to pay me to play on Facebook for money? <laughs> and, uh, because of the nature of his business, there's like a social media feed, obviously, and it really requires that suppliers play and distributors play. And so he set me up with a couple suppliers and I've been doing social media for suppliers in the industry ever since. So it's been a fun run. As for the future of promotional products, she says her 18-year-old daughter, unknowingly, has taught her how her generation looks at logos on products, which can be summed up in one word, you. I finally one day just had this flip and I'm like, you know what? She's the future. She's buyers in our industry. She's still to this day at 18 years old talks about how much promo is frustrating because it's really, really cool stuff that we mess up with our logos. I'm like, well, what would make it keepable? Like, what do I need to do? She's like, put the logo here small, put it in the bag. So all of these like sessions that I've been giving over the last few years about nobody cares about your logo or, you know, brand the box and message the merch and all of these um, specific calls to action that I have that are around um, 
making sure that our merch is more memorable because of the messaging and just losing the logo, making it more tone on tone, a little bit more discreet. Sorry, I got really loud outside. Um, a little bit more discreet all comes from her. It's going to be really interesting to see how the entire industry transforms over the next couple of years just with, I kind of feel like there's going to be a resurgence of what was like that whole, what was old is new again, kind of thing. Like we're so digital, digital, digital that I feel like there's going to be return to analog and return to tactile. So people are going to really fall in love with promo again, which they kind of did after the pandemic or during the pandemic, we couldn't go anywhere, but this like, abuse of our minds with the overload of technology i feel like maybe there's going to be like a come to analog moment where we all kind of go backwards and kind of turn off and reprogram our brains well i might be totally wrong but we'll see <laughs> charity loves the way promo is still in many ways a cottage industry where soccer moms can make a living while others have the ability to scale their businesses into multi-million dollar enterprises but that homegrown mentality has also stifled innovation over the years. For example, for so long, suppliers were only able to offer one location, one color imprints on so many products. But that has finally changed. And I think the thing that I'm most excited about, going back to kind of what we were talking about, there's probably a million things I should be excited about that aren't this, but I'm just so glad we're finally catching up is just the imprint methods and decoration methods that we finally have access to. I feel like retail has had so many, they just do cool things, right? They're doing them overseas or they're doing whatever, they have great artists or they're just innovative, they're maybe running. I don't know how they're doing it in some cases, I do in others, but for the longest time, I'm like, why can I not just get full color on a lip balm? Like, why can I not pull full color on a tumbler, you know, or full color on a tote bag? And uh, I see all of these at-home sublimated, like they're in their garage making these full-color tote bags. And it's like, okay, well, I want that capability and we don't have it. And I want to do a one-piece tumbler personalized with somebody's name and their picture or whatever. We can't do that here. Um, and then when those people are getting these like big orders for these like 1,000 and 2,000 piece mugs, they're charging like $25 a mug and they're getting the business. And then we're over here like, I can put one color on one location on, it has to be in white and you have to use aerial font. Um, so that's been really encouraging that, you know, people are bringing out the Mamakis that were, you know, able to do some of these raised imprints, UV inks, um, a lot of those 360 prints. We've got the direct to film now that's really popular and trending as far as imprint is concerned or decoration is concerned. Um, so that's what's most exciting to me is that that has evolved and we can actually make things uh, we're closer to personalization. We're closer to the on-demand printing, lower quantities, great for company stores. We're finally getting there. As for the challenges we face in the future, she believes suppliers are the ones who have the most to lose as they balance the increasing costs for everything that comes under their purview. On the supplier side, I just and I have such a huge heart for suppliers because suppliers take the brunt of importing the product, warehousing the product, sourcing the inks, doing all of the testing for the products and the inks, maintaining the warehouse, buying the equipment, um, hiring all of the employees to print the equipment. And then it's like, now have a website, now have somebody to maintain your data. Now you've got, you know, you've got to provide virtuals and people want free samples and people want you to come to their events and there's a cost for that. And then there's, um, you know, you've got to pay your salespeople and then there's shipping issues. And then when it comes back, it's like, well, you screwed this up. And then the supplier eats that too. 
And so one of the the biggest challenges that I see our industry facing immediately, it's happening now and it's gonna continue to happen, is that we are, there's a, a, a discrepancy between how business is being done and where the balance of power lies. So I think in, in the beginning, when I started going back to the changes, um, people had to earn EQP with their sales volumes. You know, the buying groups didn't really exist as much to give um, discounted pricing, which was kind of cool. Like I remember we had to fight really hard to get to like $25,000 in sales with a particular supplier to be able to get NQP. And I don't know that NQP is even heard of in the industry anymore. Next column pricing, next quantity pricing. Um, it's like you're part of this group or you have earned a certain threshold and you just get EQP or you know somebody and you just get EQP, <laughs> you know? So um, that has changed a little bit. Um, distributors, when you put in a $1,000 order as a distributor, it's a $600 order for a supplier. And out of that $600 for a supplier comes all the things I mentioned before, right? The sourcing the product, the testing of the product, the importing of the product, the storage of the product, the shelf space, the screens, the ink, the labor, the printing department, the shipping department, the everything. And so that there's like so much less <laughs> available in that 600 net that so much more is required of, not to discredit that extra, you know, mark on what a distributor could potentially get, but it's like that, that's really sad to me because they just keep getting beat up, getting beat up. And then what happens Well, they don't have it to compete and they're, everything is taking a hit. So then they have to have private equity come in or they have to, you know, sell to a bigger thing. And then our options go away as distributors because that's just what it is. Or we have to deal with customer service that's sourced, you know, not US based and maybe has some limitations and challenges that it's presenting. And I only see that just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and widening and widening and widening to the point where something is going to have to give. And I don't know what that is, um, but like a restructuring of pricing or restructuring of, I don't know what it is. I don't have the idea of how we fix it because I think it's just a big problem. I just am scared for what happens when it fixes itself and we're not part of the solution. Um, you know, somebody like Canva comes in and is just like, we're turning this model upside down. Sorry. Like now we're selling promo and surprise. <laughs> you know? I asked Charity what it's like to be a woman in an industry that, until the last decade or so, was dominated by men. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, I feel like there are a lot of answers to that. So as far as opportunity is concerned, I actually saw a statistic the other day that was talking about the number of women in executive positions in the industry. And I don't remember what the statistic was, but it was as far leaning as, like, we definitely have tipped the scales um, that women are um, just more prevalent in C-suite and VP, you know, executive leadership titles, which that's super encouraging because that was not that way um, for definitely a long time. Like you said women just didn't, they weren't in the industry. Um, so in that regard, I think it's getting a lot better. I think um, the challenge that I'm seeing, and I'm also seeing a lot more younger women and younger men coming in, which is, um, you know, definitely the emergency emerging leaders conference is coming up uh, that PPI is putting on. And so we're, we actually have enough people to start filling those rooms. Uh, we're not really stealing them from other industries yet, but a lot of the, the legacy is coming through. So a lot of children, you know, obviously not ours um, for some reason, but other people's children like promo. I don't know what we did wrong, but um, they're coming in to the industry as well. And there's a lot of women 
young women that are very intelligent, that are have a lot of aptitude, they're very tenacious, and they are taking leadership roles early. But despite the gains women have made, she says there are still moments and people who can make life uncomfortable. This is where it's kind of disheartening still to be a woman in promo, um, are the typical places where we still have to deal with um, some less than tactful male uh, counterparts that, you know, it's not necessarily comfortable to be in rooms alone still. It's not necessarily comfortable in certain conversations or at the bar because there's just some places where um, our safety is in question. And it's hard because this is very familial here. And it is very, um, you know, for the most part, we feel safe and welcome. And, you know, there's a lot of gentlemen, so I don't want to put anybody on blast, but there are still those moments where, especially for the younger women, I've heard a lot of people have come up to me like, how did you handle this? What did you do with this? What should I put in place? What do I need to keep? You know, as I'm going forward, I've been in uncomfortable situations and I don't know a way out of these things. There's a lot of pressure, um, you know, and so that's the hardest part of being a woman in this industry is there's a lot of opportunity for us to really climb the corporate ladder and to have powerful, prominent positions, uh, collaborate with um, men, women, whatever, just across the board and just do really phenomenal things as humans in this industry. Um, but that's the sad part to me is that there's still just a little bit of um, of hidden because people are afraid to say anything because it is so familial that like, if I say something, I could lose my job. If I say something, I could lose this customer. If I say something, whatever. And that's that's not cool. So I wish that there would be a little bit more awareness about that, not putting people on blast. I don't know how prevalent it is, but that's I've encountered some of it, and it's just distasteful and sad that we have to put up with that. It's not okay, but I don't I don't have a way to fix it. I just want to bring awareness to it. Like, you know, just check ourselves. And I'm sure men are not immune either. I think I was talking to somebody the other day that mentioned that he was put in a precarious situation by somebody. And so it's just a little bit of awareness from everybody. Like, let's be human. Let's be tactful. Let's just, you know, be respectful of each other. And just remember that whether you're man, woman, whatever, no means no. And just, you know, make people feel the way that you would want to feel. Be comfortable, welcomed, safe, protected, etc. One of the challenges we face as salespeople is how to differentiate ourselves to our customers and prospects in an industry dominated by commodity products. It's easy to show up and throw up a bunch of ideas, hoping one will stick, or just to go with the first thing the client suggests. Instead, Charity suggests being a promo guide and working with customers to find products that help them stand out to their end user. There are ways to delineate yourself from your competition using commodity product if you understand messaging, if you understand artwork, if you understand packaging is going to be a huge differentiator too, and understanding use of product. Like, you know, don't just, when somebody calls you and says, oh, hey, you know, I want to, I have a golf tournament. What can I get? And you're like, oh, let's get you some golf tees, some golf balls, some ball markers, and some, like, no, absolutely not. Like, how is that going to help that person stand out from their competition? No golfer wants whatever I'm going to give them they're golfers. They golf every single day. That's like giving an umbrella person an umbrella and saying, here, I got you this gift. I have the best umbrellas when I worked at Peerless. Now I'm at a, you know, a distributor company perform. I'm like, I have the best of everything available to me. You're not going to give me a promo product and impress me. Um, 
but challenge out there to anybody that wants to try to impress me with a promotion or product, it takes a lot. Like there's no promo in my house, you know? And so that's where I think we have a challenge on the distributor side of things. Yes, suppliers should be providing new and different products, but sometimes the commodity products are where the win is going to be. But how do we use those commodity products to really the artwork area, the other ancillary things that we can do, just the ideation of where those products fit in my ecosystem or how they could potentially help me stand out when I'm giving somebody a tumbler at a golf tournament or a speaker at a golf tournament. Like this doesn't make any sense. Well, because I want them to use it at their home. They have what they need on the golf course. I want them to be reminded of my company about the golf tournament while they're sitting in their living room in their recliner. So maybe some coasters, you know, with some fun sayings on them or a picture of the course. And they'll be like, oh, I really want to go golfing. I miss it. And it makes them go back, bring some sort of emotional tie. And so that's where I think even with the commodity products that are necessary, we have a huge opportunity as creatives in the industry to make these products mean something to people. And that's my call to action to everybody is get back to that, get back to making things mean something. Um, because that's where I think the, the biggest wins are going to be. As the new chief marketing officer for Proforma, Charity is tasked with ensuring their messaging is on point and that her leadership and strategies help propel the company, their distributors, their customers, and the end users to new levels of success. Where is your area of unique genius? Where do you really thrive? Especially distributors come in and they just know that they love products and they want to put logos on stuff or messaging on stuff. And that's what they're good at. And so many of these businesses either struggle or fail because they don't figure out how to hire somebody right off the bat. They don't collaborate with somebody that can fill in their gaps. They don't understand, like there's a little bit of ego, right? It's like, I'm super good. I should be able to just get all this done. I should be able to go prospect and I should be able to do the quotes and I should be able to put in the order and I should be able to do production control and I should be able to market and I should be able to ship and I should be able to also raise my kids and I should also be able to, no, you shouldn't. Like each of us can do something so that together we can do all things. Know your place and um, pick your lane, run in it, do what you do to the best of your ability, and then let somebody else take it and run with it once your area of unique genius ends. We wish Charity continued success and look forward to seeing the results her two decades of experience and unique marketing genius will bring. From all of us here at Promo Corner, thanks for listening to Profiles. I'm Steve Woodburn, and we appreciate your taking time out of your busy day to hear our stories of industry disruptors and agents of change. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profiles. Tune in next month for another story of someone who wasn't afraid to dream big, take chances, or shake things up.